Hey, I am Dave, and you're listening to another episode of Dying to Listen Podcast presented by the Disc Golf Dyers Guild. Today, we have Jason from Blood Feather Dyes. Welcome. Hey, happy to be here. Uh, thanks for taking time out of your day to be on this little dying podcast. Happy to be here. <laughs> uh, so, you'll get started. You play disc golf, right? Oh, definitely. Yeah. What got you into I, disc golf? Uh, a friend of mine, actually. So, it was the summer of 2019. Um, I guess we were just bored, <laughs> thinking of something to do on a summer day. And uh, he had played disc golf kind of on and off, um, nothing too serious. And I was like, yeah, let's go try that. And man, I bit the bug and I bit it hard. <laughs> and I've been playing disc golf as often as I can ever since. So it quickly took over my life is what it feels like. <laughs> uh, that's awesome. So that was before COVID, right? Right. Yeah. I mean, not too terribly long before, but I did have some pre-COVID disc golf experience. Not a lot, not a lot but a little bit did there. You, did you play during COVID? Well, I mean... Uh, I did. I certainly... Yeah, it ended up being one of the only things uh, I could consistently do that was, like, fun. <laughs> uh, I'm, I am I don't know if I would call myself a, a homebody, but, you know, I like going out. So, <laughs> going and playing disc golf alone with a friend, just, like reminding myself that there are other human beings on the planet seeing them on a disc golf course that was a that was a big thing for me yeah um i feel like disc golf was one of the only things you could really do outside during covid so yeah right um since you kind of started playing uh was it hard to find discs because i feel like it was uh the discs were somewhat limited during the covid right uh i i think that I'd certainly noticed it was harder to find discs during COVID, but um, because I bit the bug so hard, I mean, I had backups for my backups for my backups. <laughs> so I had plenty of discs going into COVID. Um, but yeah, no, it was uh, there, there was just a lot more people out. I think that was the thing. I had I, I live in Kansas City, and it's kind of a it's like a disc golf mecca. It feels like it's just one of those towns or areas where just disc golf is a thing. There's tons nice. of courses, tons of stores, and I had lived here for so long and I had no idea until I went out and played with my friend. And then all of a sudden I realized, Oh, disc golf is everywhere in Kansas city. So yeah, I, I, I even just being kind of new to the scene, noticed that there were a lot more people out uh, once COVID kind of like prevented people from doing all the other things I'm sure they wanted to be doing. <laughs> yeah, man, I am bad with my States Where What state is Kansas city in? Oh, so, uh, don't feel bad. Uh, yeah. People who live in the Kansas City area just call it Kansas City, but it's right near Kansas and Missouri. Uh, okay, yeah. Kansas City, Missouri is where like the Chiefs are, but it's yeah. 20 minutes and you're in Kansas. So people on the Kansas side say they're from Kansas City, and you're never quite sure which one. <laughs> is it the Kansas one or the Missouri one? But yeah, just kind of that metro area. It's pretty big. Gotcha. So what got you into disc dyeing then? That is a great question. Um, it was kind of a couple things that just sort of converged at the same point. So that friend who took me out to play disc golf, um, his name is Alec. And obviously I was all in on disc golf. I played it all the time. And I think someday, some random day, I must have stumbled upon like the disc dying subreddit. And, you know, that's where I was first introduced to like, oh, people kind of pimp out their discs and they uh, kind of turn it into a functional art piece. And I thought that was super cool, but 
you know, I just kind of casually observed and was like, oh, that's cool. I'll give it a like. At the time, I didn't think of doing it myself. Um, but my friend, Alec, kind of leading into COVID, um, another shared interest we had was like tabletop gaming. So like board games, Dungeons and Dragons. Um, if we weren't playing disc golf, it felt like we were doing something along those lines. And he actually made the move to start a business making like tabletop gaming accessories. So he would make dice, he would make casts that people could buy and then they could make their own dice. And he just took the plunge kind of fearlessly to turn sort of this hobby he had and see how far he could take it. And, you know, before long, he's like making thousands of dollars every month off this hobby. And that kind of inspired me. I've, you know, I think we've all at one point in our lives had a day job where it, it's a little draining. Um, we're probably thankful to have the job and get the paycheck, but it's not like super exhilarating or exciting. And that's kind of where I was at. And rather than just sort of mope about, you know, being stuck in a nine to five, I figured, well, shoot, if, if Alec can turn his hobby into a viable business, then I should stop complaining and I should try something like that. So I kind of experimented with like making music and just that did, I wasn't a musician. So I quickly realized that I, uh, that was an obstacle that I probably couldn't overcome in any timely fashion. But then, then I think I just saw the disc dying subreddit and went, well, I like disc golf. I'm kind of looking for a creative outlet that maybe I can make a few dollars off of, or, or at least maybe just fund my own disc golf habit. That was goal number one. Like if I can make disc golf for myself free, then <laughs> I don't have to explain the um, credit card bill at the end of the month to my, <laughs> to my significant other. So, um, yeah. And I, I bought a record player, some basic supplies and just sort of took a stab at it. And, um, after a while of just practicing, I, I felt like I was kind of producing things that I felt like looked, um, you know, pretty good and good, you know, there's all kinds of different ways to die a disc and I certainly have my own like aesthetic, but I was making things that I was excited to see, like the final product, like look cool to me. So I figured oh, I'll see if anyone else has, you know, if they're interested and, you know, I think it was just here or there on Reddit people were like, Oh, are you selling that? And I was like, okay, maybe there's something here. Um, and that's just kind of where it all stemmed from there was I was just sort of looking for something to do that I felt was productive to kind of, I don't know, have a creative outlet and feel like I'm, you know, taking ownership of what I'm producing, what I'm making and putting out in the world. And here we are. So, yeah, no, that's awesome. Um, but you took that initiative to, uh, to do something. So your friend does the gaming stuff um, mm -hmm. and you do the disc dying. Who makes more money? Oh, um, definitely him. Uh, yes. He actually, he actually now has like a retail location in downtown Kansas city um, where they do obviously all the dice stuff that it, his business is called Druid dice. Oh, nice. um, they do a lot more than just making dice, but that's kind of his bread and butter, but there's just, it's a game store. You can go buy board games. They have game nights. Um, you can buy all kinds of trading cards and everything. And um, I know at one point we were playing disc golf at Rosedale Park. Um, if you're from Kansas City, you know what I'm talking about. We were playing at Rosedale Park, and I was just chatting with him about his business. You know, it maybe had been a couple weeks since I seen him. We're adults. We're busy. When we play disc golf, we're talking the whole time, catching up. 
And I just asked him how his business was going, and he said in a single week, that week, they had done like $15,000 in sales or something like that. Obviously, there's expenses that go into that, so mm-hmm. he wasn't able to pocket all that, but he has employees, <laughs> he has a physical location, he's got a website, like, yeah, he's, he's <laughs> at this point, he's all in. He quit his day job, too. Like, that was the thing. Mm-hmm. I think he was kind of in the same boat I was, where he was just wanting to just feel like he was in the driver's seat a little more. You know, modern life, I, I feel like occasionally it feels like you're kind of taking a, a passive seat mm-hmm. on the ride, and, and he just wanted to take charge. And so, yeah, as soon as his business was a viable replacement of his day job, he quit that, and he's been all in. So I'm not quite there yet. <laughs> I don't know if that's my goal right now, but... Um, yeah. Um, yeah. Good good for him. Um, I'm going yeah. to say that we potentially made the wrong business choices if we wanted to make money because this time yeah this 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 starting is hard i think for me and and i have a business degree so i as soon as i thought that i was going to try to turn this into you know a little business i had my spreadsheet and i was tracking costs and and you know analyzing all of that and and in my opinion I think the reason disc dying is challenging to, you know, make money. It, it's because of the raw materials, the discs, um, at least for me, I'm paying retail for it probably for the most part. You know, I'll try to get discounts where I can or buy in bulk, but um, there's a significant chunk of change that goes to just acquiring the disc that you want to die. Um, and I feel like if you were to charge, um, you know, if we consider it an art piece... I think a lot of people aren't charging nearly enough because, you know, art kind of demands a a price tag because Mm -hmm. it's one of a kind. It's handmade. um, You can't get it anywhere else. But I think that uh, for the most part, people are kind of just charging what everyone else is charging. And it's kind of hard to get around that sometimes. So, yeah, um, I feel like Dyer should be charging a lot more for their art than what they right. currently are because just the time and effort people put into some of these discs, it, it's like way below minimum wage uh, for right. what they're getting. And um, it's the, I don't know if it's the proper meta- or term, but like the herd mentality of everybody has this price. Now people are expecting that price. Correct. Yeah. Um, and I don't know. I don't know how necessarily to get around that because again, I feel like people deserve more money for, this art um yeah it it's tricky too because um i think i I, i've been tempted and i have i've i've bought a dyed disc just to display it like to kind of use it as art Mm -hmm. but i think a lot of people when they're buying a disc they're just kind of looking for something unique that they can show off but they also are gonna you know chuck it into a tree so i think that there's there's a little bit of hesitance Excuse me. There's a little bit hesitancy to play, pay too much mm-hmm. because, you know, it's something you could chuck into a lake and never see again. So it, it's it's a really good question. I I definitely think that, you know, if someone wants to make it like their full time gig, then I think that, you know, the average price that's out there right now makes it kind of challenging because, you know, if it takes three hours to, you know. Mm-hmm. get a really good die out there 
whatever your profit is, you got to divide it by three to sort of understand what your hourly wage is. And that's just part of the equation. You got to get the discs. You got to <laughs> yeah. have all of the supplies. You have to buy dye. Like all that stuff adds up. And, you know, you're looking at a probably a pretty thin profit margin to kind of work with. So it's a good yeah. question. For me, it's just a side thing. I make a little bit of money that really just goes towards whatever discs I'm buying for myself. So mm-hmm. it's, it's yeah, challenging, I- though. I feel like you're not going to make a million bucks dying discs. Um, so don't expect that. Uh, it's a good way to support dying of what you're doing. And like what you said, like what you're doing is buying other discs as well. Yeah. Um, the other way is like churn out quantity. Like you have a lot of dis- die discs that you're selling that are relatively right. easy to, um, to do. Right. And I'm trying to think of, is there any other art form that people use or throw it's not like you're going to throw the mona lisa or anything like that um, <laughs> i hope not <laughs> yeah well uh, um but yeah it is a utilitarian artwork i guess yeah like like i i think someone's described it as like functional art yeah i i i've had this question to myself too like i'm trying to think of what in another sport an equivalent of like buying a dyed disc would be and the closest I've come to is just like maybe a basketball player's shoes or custom or one of a kind. And you know, it's just a way to, I don't know. It's a form of self-expression kind of for me, you know, Mm -hmm. you pull out a disc and it's dyed and it's unique to you. You don't, you're the only one that has it. Um, you can kind of show it off and, you know, disc, disc, you know, disc golfers in general, are I think, um, an eclectic bunch when it comes to like what, discs they bag what it means you know some people like going all in on one manufacturer some people like mixing it up and you know there's something to be said about what discs you bag sort of being an aspect of what defines you as a disc golfer so i i I feel like a dyed disc is an aspect of that it's just that form of self-expression but yeah Yeah. i don't think that i'm trying to think of like i don't know do do ball golfers get up in arms about what brand of clubs they use or Maybe it's the I've you know like I've seen the covers for the <laughs> the mm-hmm. drivers. It, you know, is that what the equivalent is? I don't know. It, it feels like it's pretty unique to disc golf. Yeah. Well, also disc golfers are cheap bastards. <laughs> I would agree with that. Yeah. I mean, uh, that, not saying that's a bad charm, thing, but yeah, 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 yeah. Part of the charm is it's a it's kind of advertised this way. It was to me too when I first got into it, and I was you know new to the course and you know you end up just chatting with the vets the people that have been around for a long time and you know the first one of the first things i'll tell you is oh disc golf's great it's really accessible and it's cheap yeah you know especially compared to like ball golf so um but yeah i mean cheap sport probably got some cheap people in it (laughs) (laughs) yeah i mean there are some people that will pay a premium for a die disc um that i know Mm -hmm. And yeah, I'm trying to figure out a way to help artists get the money that they need or deserve for these die discs. And that's one of the reasons why I do the raffle and uh, you'll be raffling off a disc as well is Mm -hmm. it's not a, like a huge money commitment for a person. You may, you have a chance to get something for a lower price. You're not guaranteed anything, but the raffle can drum up what a disc is worth because I think the, Highest raffle that we had was uh, Jeff from the the Tin Man Dies was like two hundred and sixty dollars he raised. I'm like, wow, okay, nice. 
that's yeah. that's the value of that disc there. So um, yeah, definitely. Yeah, and we'll talk more about the raffle of what you'll be doing uh, at the end of the yeah. show. But sure. um, yeah. Um, so do you remember the first disc that you've died? I do. Um, I use the shaving cream method, right? Where, you know, you just make a pile of shaving cream, you sprinkle the dye on it, press the disc down and it kind of like splays out. Um, that was the first dye I ever did. It was, to me, it seemed like the most accessible. I just needed, I bought like a lasagna pan, like a, like a disposable lasagna pan and some shaving cream and some powdered dye. And that's kind of all you needed for that method. So that was just my, I want to try it. Let's not do the typical Jason thing, which is spend hundreds of dollars on a new hobby <laughs> and go all the way in before you know if uh, you know it's something that excites you. So I took it yes. slow, luckily. <laughs> but yeah, it turned out it turned out great. It was super fun, and I think just a couple of days after that, I had a record player and a bunch of other guy <laughs> and equipment on the way. So, so well, uh, at I, least pat, I, I patted myself on the back for easing into it, but it didn't last long. <laughs> yes, well, you know, um, at least you tried. Uh, right. Do you remember? Do you remember what dye you used? Oh, it had to have been uh, pro chemical and dye. Okay. I, I I think that's all I've ever used. I don't remember ever going and buying anything else. I think I looked for I dye poly because that was the one I saw on the subreddit, but mm-hmm. I couldn't find the kind that would work with plastic. Mm-hmm. So I think I just bit the bullet and ordered some. It was uh, it was actually it was like a. Trial kit's not the right word. It was specifically starter advertised kit? as like a yeah a disc golf yeah. starter kit, and so they weren't very big vials of dye, but mm-hmm. they had lots of colors. So I bought one of those, and um, I think I used. <laughs> it's all coming back to me. I used like credit card cash back, so I was like really trying to ease into. It. I was like, I'm not even going to spend money on this, <laughs> and nice. uh, but yeah, and then I you know I bit the disc golf bug playing, and then that kind of I bit the dying bug and was willing to try all the ways i could think of or see so so how much dying stuff do you have now oh boy uh i have (laughs) a silhouette cameo the cricket machine i have Mm -hmm. that uh done some stencils here and there um i have actually right behind me this is my little setup so this is for spin dies so i've just got my dies and all of the brushes and q-tips you could ever want uh, and it's just a plastic fold-out table because if you can, if you could see it, there's spills all over the place. There's yeah. color on it, so I didn't want to ruin any <laughs> table. I'd be in trouble. But I have, oh gosh, I also have uh, a setup for um, like cell dyeing. You know, so I have a heat lamp. Um, it's actually this cool little. Uh, it's supposed to be a coat rack I got from IKEA. But it has a beam and a place you can hang um, like a heat lamp. Mm-hmm. And then it's got a flat surface you know, where you would sit down or put your shoes or whatever. So I have a little makeshift uh, heat bed set up there. I don't do that very often. I don't yeah. do the stencils very often either anymore. Um, it, it's just different equipment. It takes a different amount of space. Mm-hmm. And I tend to just, if it, if it can't fit on the table, <laughs> I'm too lazy to do it. So. So where is your dye lab? Do you have an apartment or home or? Oh, right. Uh, it's a townhome. Uh, me and my family actually moved over to the Kansas side from the Missouri side. So when I say Kansas City, that's that's the confusion instantly. But um, <laughs> we have a little townhome. So right now I'm 
on the second level, there's a master bedroom and then a second bedroom. And this is this super weird space with a window between the bedrooms at the top of the stairs, but it's not a room. (laughs) Mm -hmm. It's not big enough for anything other than I've got this table. I'm on my desk right now. And then we have like a little dresser off on the corner that I put like a printer on. So it's a small little nook, but we found it. I mean, it's being used now. Whereas before it was like, I don't even know like you barely fit a, like a lazy boy over there or something. And you'd have nothing to watch or stare at. So <laughs> I made good use of the space. Yeah. Well, you know, anybody can set up anywhere. So find a little nook for your little dye lab. Yeah, for sure. And you just got to be careful about spills. I have a little plastic lining thing. So that, that's so my next question. Carpet. Have you had <laughs> any uh, accidents? Sure. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, getting up from the chair, bumping the table, and knocking an open container of like acetone. Um, luckily, <laughs> that go around. It didn't have dye in it yet, but yeah. I've knocked some dye on to the carpet, and you just got to act quick. You got to get to it as quick uh, as you can and hope that it wasn't like black. <laughs> hope yeah. it was a light color, but yeah, I've had yeah. some accidents. Luckily, nothing uh, nothing that I couldn't hide. Little <laughs> <laughs> rug over here. Uh, where, exactly, yeah. Comb it that your, way. <laughs> where's your wash station, and how far away is it? Where's my what? Wash station. Like, where do you wash? Oh, yeah. Uh, luckily, both of these uh, rooms upstairs have a bathroom. Nice. So, yeah, I have access to a sink. Because um, I don't do a lot of the, um, you know the Floetrial beds or anything mm. like that. I typically don't have to dump anything into a sink or, or drain anything. I'm just mm. washing glue off of a disc, so usually I can just do that with a sponge in a sink. I don't need a big basin, but... Nice. Yeah, if I have to run, get water, it's not too far off. I'd probably just have to barrel through one of these doors. <laughs> um, so... What do you think your signature style is if you think you have one for dying? I definitely think I do. Um, I, I don't know if trying to find a signature style was a goal of mine, but I think that that was something that, you know, whatever success means in disc dying, I feel like that's been a thing that's led me to some success. Was it? it I think I have a recognizable style, so... You know, if I share something online, um, I'm not the only one who does it this way, but people are like, oh, I thought that might have been you. So that's kind of cool. And I think it kind of helps out with, um, now, you know, don't mess with success. If someone likes the disc, um, chances are someone else will too. So mm-hmm. I have a couple examples here. I can yeah, and talk if, through it. For the audio listeners, if you want to describe that as well. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I would say my style is glue masking. So it's a spin die. Uh, I describe it. It's a spin die with layers. So we've all seen spin dies where, you know, the color will shift from a really dark red into your oranges, into your yellows, or, you know, just um, contrasting lines. You know, it's clearly someone spun the disc around and applied color to it. Um, This is that, honestly, just with dried Elmer's glue. So, you know... If there's an outer section with blue and you'll see other patterns and colors, it's just because I spun it blue and then I put literally Elmer's glue, you know, like the stuff that we all used to eat as a kid. (laughs) I put it onto the disc and uh, once that dries, 
if you were to apply another layer of color, that dried glue essentially asks as your mask or, you know, it's it's not going to let the dye through. So it's the negative space where the glue isn't that you can apply more color. And, you know, just depending on how you lay the glue down, uh, you can get all kinds of different patterns and shapes. So um, it's a lot of fun. Uh, it's relatively easy. I mean... I think it's kind of like a uh, it's like a football game, like an NFL game, where you're going to be there for four hours, but they're only playing for 15. Mm. Um, I think like this disc, for example, it looks relatively complicated, but the total time I put into it where I'm actively dying it is probably, gosh, I don't know, 20, 25 minutes. There's just a lot of time where you're waiting for glue to dry. Um, but yeah, other than that, the total time commitment's pretty low. I, I hate to say that my work is easy to do yeah because there is some skill into it but you know after doing it over i don't know 100 150 times um it's pretty straightforward it, it it's not super complicated and once you've done it a couple times you sort of understand the what you can get away with with the glue mm-hmm. um and kind of envision what the end product would be it's sometimes hard to tell if i apply another layer of color what's it going to look like in the end, right? Mm-hmm. Because half of it's covered in clues that you don't know, but yeah. Yeah. So I'd say that's my signature style. It's the steps are simple, but there is artistry behind it that takes time and practice to do. There's yeah. a skill. Definitely. Well, you know, you know, there's always sort of this inertia to trying something or just doing it. Um, I think that's, that's probably more than half of the game, right? It, it, there's a significant part of anything, but disc dyeing in particular, where you just have to get into the weeds and experiment and try it. And if you keep at it, there's going to be those kind of light bulb moments where big or small, there's these little things you learn. Like not every, not everything I've learned feels like this earth shattering revelation. And I'm sure a million other people have, well, I don't know if there's a million disc tires, but a plenty of other people have come to the same conclusion um but there's something to learning it yourself as opposed to just hearing about it or seeing it or reading it you know um it just means more if if it clicks through action um and i think the gosh i think that in a case like this i don't know about you I, i have a pretty strong sense of my own aesthetic like what i think looks good and i think that i've just sort of um allowed myself to dye the discs in the way that I think looks good. So what colors do I put next to what colors? Um, if you think, I, I don't know if everyone went through this, um, but in like grade school, I think you, st- you know, everyone would study like color theory. It was basically, it's a circle with all of the colors. And, you know, the teacher would describe that like colors next to each other on this wheel complement each other. So like orange and red are similar and so juxtaposed together, um, they don't contrast as much, but they, you know, they look pleasing to the eye because, you know, it's, they're similar. And then if you pick a point in that wheel and go the exact opposite, those colors won't mix. Like you'll get brown or green. So like going together, not so great, but next to each other, they pop. They, you know, like purple and yellow is a color combination. If you mix purple and yellow, the result probably won't be pleasing to the eye. If you mix red and orange, you're just getting some iteration of red or orange. But you can use the purple and yellow example of if you have a really solid purple line next to a yellow line, 
those kind of draw the eye to it and make it pop. So I try to apply that uh, when I'm dyeing a disc and just honestly just go with colors that I like. Because that's one of the hardest things, I think, about dyeing discs is feeling satisfied with the end result. I think yeah. that's an artist thing, not even just a disc dyer thing, right? Like, yeah. The, the, you, you talked about the Mona Lisa and the, how many layers did they say there were? Like, he had painted over it like dozens of times because he wasn't happy with it. So, um, that's a challenge, I think, for me is just knowing when to be done. And maybe it's not perfect, but it's good enough, <laughs> especially yeah. with this style because you can, you can always add another layer. And I feel like I'm always tempted. Like, oh, I could put some more glue down here. I could do something else. But at some point, you got to, like, you don't want it to get too mm -hmm. busy or, you know, undo the cool thing that you've kind of revealed beforehand. Yeah. So Sometimes less is more and um, just having having balance. And um, yeah. that helps. Um, but, yeah, color theory is very important. And shameless plug, we do have a master class on color theory that Cool Cat nice. Guys did. So definitely go check that out if not just learn the color wheel the basics it i feel like that is the fundamental thing that you need to know to dye a disc otherwise you're gonna yeah. have brown otherwise um, yeah 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 so what uh what led you to that specific spin dyeing technique and why do you like doing it yeah i i think that uh you know in my early observation of just other disc dyers. I know that the Tim Perkins Synergy dies was one that I think I subscribed to on Instagram, so I saw those all the time, and I don't claim to know precisely how he does it, but one day something clicked, and I was like, I think that that might be some form of glue or a layer. And so then, honestly, it was just, it was, what is it, the purest form of flattery is <laughs> copying Imitation. someone. So yes. I think I had a Instagram post pulled up and I was like, I'm going to try to replicate that section on, on a disc of mine. And then, you know, I, I don't, I wouldn't say I do it exactly the same way, but that was probably kind of what led me down the path of kind of trying that style. Um, you know, in hindsight, uh, there were resources I could have viewed or watched that would have made it super clear to me. But that was one of those things I mentioned earlier where I was sort of just experimenting and trying something and I kind of had a hunch at how someone had done something and just the act of trying to replicate that on my own, I, I sort of stumbled upon a cool way to do things. So, yeah. um, I think the reason that one reason I really, really like it though, aside from, um, all the other things I mentioned is I really don't have a plan when I start it. I, I take a white disc and I don't have any notion of what it's going to look like at the end. I sort of section it off. That might be the first thing I do is I'll, I'll take a, a thin brush, get a dark color, and I'll just put some faint lines, just spin some circles, and I've sectioned it off. And so, you know, say I have three sections on this disc. I've got the center, a middle ring, and then the outer ring. I don't have any plan after that. I'll kind of just start with a color. I'll pick a color, you know. I try to switch it up. I'm sure I end up gravitating towards certain colors, but... I'll just be like, okay, we're making the outer one green. So I'll put my first layer of green down. And, you know, I'll use the color theory. I'll be like, what would be a cool juxtaposition to, you know, to green? And it might be pink. I might be like, ah, oh, pink will be a cool next layer. And so I'll put pink down and then, you know, so on and so forth until each of those sections is colored out. 
And then I just take out the glue and it's kind of meditative. I sort of just play around with glue uh, without too much care in the world. I have a couple patterns that I'm prone to using. So, yeah, I'll just sort of put on some music or whatever and I'm putting my layer of glue down. I'm doing my spin die and I really just start with sectioning the disc off, picking the colors that are going to be that first layer. And I just sort of see how it develops, right? So if I finish the outer ring and, you know, it's it's a pattern that I think is busy, you know, maybe lots of intricate detail, then I might know that that next layer, I'm going to keep it a little more mellow. It's not going to be as visually um, excited. Um, and then when I get back into that third middle layer, then it's like, all right, now I can introduce some more complexity again. So that's kind of, those are just some of the approaches I take, but, you know, if you told me like, what's this disc going to look like at the end? I'm like, I don't know. I'm kind of doing it one layer and one section at a time. And that's the cool part to me is last layer, you wipe off the glue, you clean it, you suds it up, get it all nice and clean. And then you're like, Oh, cool. That's what I did. That's what I made. (laughs) And it sort of revealed it. Yeah, it turned out great. They don't always turn out great, (laughs) but yeah, it sort of revealed itself to me as I was doing it. So, um, it's kind of addictive because, I'm kind of always pleasantly surprised at the end too. It's not like a, oh, this went exactly as I envisioned because I didn't really go into it with, yeah, you know, oh. a specific thing in mind. Uh, that is awesome. Um, so I saw that you had some lines from the glue mask on your disc. Is there mm-hmm. any way that you equally space them apart? So not the ones that are concentric, but the ones that go, you know, like a clock. Yeah, um, I put the record player on the lowest setting I can get it to. Uh, and, you know, on this example, um, mm-hmm. it kind of has, I oh gosh, I don't know what you call them. I guess I just call them spikes. But it's, if you were to follow the line, um, it's actually, uh, I guess it's a swirl. Like, it, it is a continuous line. And mm-hmm. I just, honestly, I just drag my tool and... I can show my tool here. It, I don't know what this is. I think it came with my silhouette machine. Uh, mm. It's hard to see. It, it's like a ballpoint pen, but without ink. It's just the ball mm. at the end. It, back of a pencil. It, like a, Pretty much you could achieve the same with all kinds of things. The, oh, the blunt end of like a paintbrush is a good one too. But I just drag this through the disc as it's spinning. And I'm just careful to drag it at a steady pace. So I'm not Mm -hmm. trying to like accelerate because then the spacing in the line changes. I literally just counted out one, two, three, and I just try to move at a steady pace through the glue. And so as it's spinning, the tool pushes the glue out of the way and reveals the disc. So Mm -hmm. I guess it's just patience to really answer your question, how I get the even spacing. It's watching the disc spin and like hyping myself up like okay you're gonna drag it through the glue nice and steady this time it's like am i shaking am i am i sweating no okay we're good to go one two three here we go and then i'm dragging it smoothly over the disc so i guess i don't know if that necessarily answered the question but it did in a way but the the tick marks so you have even tick marks all around so from going from the center disc to the rim of the disc have those our sections the same spacing so when you get oh, around to the edge i see what you're saying yeah where you yeah. don't have like a thin one you're like oh crap it's, it's not right even. 
Yes. Okay. I understand much better now. Okay. Yeah. So, um, that's super easy to do, right? Cause, um, it, or I guess it's, it's easy to mess that up. <laughs> <laughs> so you know that you want to evenly space like a line all the way around the circle and maybe even the line is angled, right? So you're trying mm-hmm. to maintain the angle of the line all the way around the disc, uh, and you're spacing it out largely intuitively like how far apart do you make the lines so that when it comes all the way back around you're not left with like a half space mm-hmm. i don't get it right all the time <laughs> um <laughs> uh sometimes you just have to decide like is this space too long and i need to put something in there or is it just a little bigger than the other ones and i'll just leave it as is if you mm-hmm. stare at all of the discs i've died you can find those kinds of mistakes um I think it's kind of the charm of the style. Like I'm, I'm not a robot. Yeah. The angles aren't all precise. The spacing isn't always exact. Um, there's an element of, you can tell it's kind of a freestyle effort. The, when I want to space it out even though, cause sometimes I am like, sometimes I, I want to get it to be as even or symmetrical mm-hmm. as possible. I tend to avoid just, you know, making the line, and moving the disc and making the line. I'll just flat out, I'll make a line. I will rotate it 180 degrees and try to line it up where I'm on the exact opposite end of the disc. Take that action. And then I'll do a quarter turn. And so as I'm going, I'm doing my best to evenly partition it. And so you get it into fourths mm-hmm. and you get it into, I guess it would be sixteenths. And that's one way you can control the spacing is instead of starting at a point and working your way around, you are working at opposite ends of the disc as best you can. It's like cutting a pizza. Exactly. Yeah. No, it's <laughs> it's exactly like cutting a pizza. Yep. You can start on one end, go to the other, you rotate it, and do the same thing. So. Yeah. Well, unless you cut in squares, then that's different. But Right. Oh, who does that? Oh, gosh. <laughs> that's a <Right>. hot take. <laughs> yes. <laughs> don't, don't cut your pizza in squares. <laughs> um, so what are your tools of the trade? So I know you have a record player. Is there any specific record player that you have or would recommend? Uh, I don't know what kind of record player I have, to be honest with you. <laughs> <laughs> I could look at the brand. It says Audio Technica. I bought it new, which I guess I wouldn't recommend. That's what I would say. As long as it spins, mm-hmm. you're good. Um, there you go. It's cool if you can control the speed. Uh, slow or fast, I definitely do toggle between that depending on uh, what level of detail I'm trying to achieve. If it's spinning faster, then you know it, you know more room for error, or you have to just be, you know, that much more robotic. Um, mm-hmm. I would definitely uh, just it doesn't need to be uh, antique, um, and it doesn't need to be new. Just a record player that works and I guess it doesn't even have to work like making music. It just needs to spin Yes. <laughs> as long as it spins, you're good to go. Um, I don't really have a recommendation there other than I bought it new and I don't regret it, but I've never used it to play music. So um, <laughs> it's not necessary to buy a new one. Yeah. Um, record players is the, it's the, aside from your die, um, that's the key tool for this style. Oh, and obviously Elmer's clue. Um, and I just bought a gallon of it, and then I put it into the, you know, the typical squeeze bottle with the orange tip. Mm-hmm. Um, and we were talking about uh, kind of the business side of it earlier. That is one thing I recommend as far as um, the tools that you accumulate to dye is when there's an opportunity to buy in bulk, 
Um, it's a good idea. Like Elmer's glue. I know I'm going to use a lot of it. I might as well buy a big gallon and save a little bit of time. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't have to keep going to the store and buying it or ordering it. Um, other than that, like for, for my signature style, it's kind of just record player, Q-tips, and die. Um, I have a lot of tools like this, like, I don't know, some blunt object in different sizes. Um, you know, toothpicks if you want some super fine detail. Trying to see what else. Brushes. Obviously, you want some brushes. Um, different size brushes, too. Um, although I typically only use the same brush. <laughs> I use Q-tips for most of the actually applying the color. Yeah, I was going to say, what uh, method do you use or applicator do you use to apply the dye to the disc? Q-tips, yeah. yeah. Lots of Q-tips. Yeah, the only real time I use a brush is to um, draw those thin, dark lines that separate the layer, or, you know, the sections. Mm-hmm. Um, other than that, I just use Q-tips. And I'm off, I mean, I find myself now even, if I want a fine... Because, you know, a Q-tip's kind of a, it's kind of a blunt object for the most part. You can get a lot of color down pretty quick with a Q-tip, and that's generally what I'm going for. But um, I even find myself lately, instead of using a brush, like I'll literally grab a Q-tip. Here, let me grab one. I'll grab a Q-tip, and I will like pull the cotton, and I'll yank it away from the stick. Yes. Until I have a lot of, um, you know, just kind of excess cotton, and then I'll sit here and I'll twist it, and then I've sort of made a fine point out of my Q-tip. Mm. That wasn't the best example, but, and then, you know, I have a tiny little pair of scissors and maybe I'll cut off a lot of the frill. And then I have like this fine point on a Q-tip. And I just think that the Q-tip, because it's, you know, because of the material, it's cotton. It can just hold more dye than a brush Mm -hmm. can. You know, this, this piece of cotton essentially is going to hold a lot more dye at one time than a, than the bristles on a, on a brush. So I can just kind of sit there with that fine point for a little longer before I have to dip it in and. Those are just the tiny little efficiencies that you kind of acquire mm. as you go on. You know, how much time do I want to be spend <laughs> spend dunking my brush or my Q-tip in the dye if I can get more out of it, um, doing it one way versus the other? Yeah, um, I, I'm I'm laughing because I recorded a podcast with uh, Mason Maxwell from Midwest Dye Labs two days ago, and he said he mm-hmm. did the same thing with the Q-tip. Is he did the uh, purple nurple on there to uh, yeah? That's a good way to. (laughs) That's an excellent way to describe it. Yeah, you're just kind of sitting here twisting the heck out of some cotton. Nice. Um, there's a tool that Cool Cat Dyes put me onto. It's basically a lead chuck holder pencil, like the architects use, Mm -hmm. and you can break half of the Q-tip off and stick it into there, so you have a nice uh, handle for your handle. Excellent. Yeah. But that, you know, I'm going to have to try that because, you know, if, if I use the same Q-tip for long enough, the mm-hmm. dye seeps up all the way through. I, I, I make sure I use the ones that have kind of the cardboard uh, stem rather than yeah. the plastic one. And it'll wick dye all the way up into the other end. Mm-hmm. And then, then, you know, if you want to use a different color at that point in time, then this Q-tip's useless. You chuck it and you grab a new one. So, yeah. That would be a good way to uh, really me, stretch my Q-tip supply. Let me grab it. I'll send you a link to it, and I'll put a link in oh, the description. Cool. But it's this. Uh, basically, it's called the lead chuck, and it's a 2.5 millimeter is the size for the lead chuck. Um, so I, usually I just 
break the Q-tip in half, mm-hmm. and you can just shove it right on in there. That's fantastic. Yeah, yes. that that I bet you that feels a whole lot better than holding on to the yeah, business end um, of the Q-tip. <laughs> yeah, you have more dexterity and all that good happy stuff. And when you're done, you go. Pew. <laughs> nice. I might have to yeah. get one just to do the pew. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes. Um, Mandatory, yeah. right? You have you have to make the sound. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Reload. Um, what dye mixture do you use for your spin dyes? Really easy. It's that pro chemical and dye um, and acetone, just pure okay. 100% acetone. Um, I uh, ratio. Uh, I think it's a quarter teaspoon scoop to like maybe three ounces of acetone. There, I have these nifty little. Uh, you know, these are acetone proof, the high density, whatever that word is, HDPD. <laughs> it's yes. the kind of, you got to make sure it's not anything acetone will eat through. I made that mistake. <laughs> Do not make that mistake. Yes. Um, but yeah, it, it I kind of just fill this three quarters of the way with acetone. And then I just, I kind of just put dye in it a little bit at a time, mm-hmm. shake the crap out of it. And then, uh, you know, once I can't seem to shake dye into it anymore and it will start collecting at the bottom i call it good uh it just sits on my table so all the extra debris will just float to the bottom mm-hmm. and so i don't have any concerns about just dunking my q-tip in because i know that whatever is on the top <laughs> is mixed well and yeah. yeah super easy it there's no other i don't add water um i don't heat it up um i know you can do that too uh you know warm water can mix with more things mm-hmm. uh, i know some people will do that but i haven't found it to be necessary yeah i mean whatever works for you um i did a little experiment with the neon colors i think it was neon uh lemon zest where mm-hmm. i had near boiling water and i mixed the dye with it first then into the acetone mm-hmm. then i just did an acetone and dye mix and it seemed like the one that was mixed with the water had um better saturation like it was Ooh, brighter okay. and more vibrant. Um, so some colors, it, yeah. some colors may benefit from that, especially like the neon colors. So, bam. No, that's good to know. Yeah, I'll have to experiment with that. I, I can't really contribute it to <laughs> insider knowledge. I it's probably just laziness on my part. <laughs> I was just hey, happy to mix it and go. If it works, it works. Um, yeah. Have you tried any other mixtures like uh, denatured alcohol? No, I, I honestly, I, they had these, gosh. I think it's the best deal I've ever seen on acetone other than if you splurge and just get like the industrial size can of it. Uh, Target had like six ounces for 99 cents and I was on Amazon looking for bigger bottles and you know, you start calculating the per ounce cost and that that was the deal. So I just went to Target and grabbed a whole bunch of those tiny little, it was in like the cosmetic section, right? So it's just this pure 100% acetone. There's no coloring. There's no fragrance. There's none of that stuff. And I, I just the first thing I mixed my dye with, and I've just been doing that ever since, just acetone and dye. Nice. Um, another shameless plug, we do sell the HDPE bottles on the Dyer's Guild website. Yeah, those are a must. Yes. Um, is there any other tools that you like to use? or um, Do you have like a unique tool that you like to use for your glue masking to make the patterns on there? I know you showed that one blunt object, but... Do you have anything else? I am a huge fan of using the 
that classic orange nozzle on the the glue bottle itself. So your classic um, bottle of Elmer's glue. Uh I really, uh, I really like just applying it straight from here. Uh, I feel like just this is probably just practice or however many iterations of it. I I have a pretty good idea of how hard I squeeze, how much glue comes out. I feel like I have a lot of control with this. I do also have some, what would you call it, like some precision glue bottles. So the tip is a lot smaller. It's a much smaller bottle too, so you're not lugging around this big thing with an itty-bitty nozzle. But um, yeah, for the most part, um, I couldn't tell you why, but straight from the bottle. And, you know, I'll use... You know, as I'm layering glue or as I'm putting it down, sometimes I'm kind of using the tip itself to push glue out of the way as I'm applying it. And mm-hmm. I think this is just blunt enough that, you know, I can push enough glue out of the way, but it's it comes to a fine enough point that I feel like I can still get some fine detail out of it. So that's a pretty minimalist um, mm-hmm. approach, but th- th- that's why I, I just refill this. I have a much bigger thing of glue, but... I keep putting it into this because I actually like using the the orange tip of the yeah. glue bottle itself. Um, and then, but, honestly, anything relatively small and blunt that can push glue out of the way will get the job done. Gotcha. You know, if you ever have to do arts and crafts, I think you'd be killer at it. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, yeah. I uh, My macaroni art game has skyrocketed <laughs> since dying didn't <laughs> Man, I can lay down a bead of glue like no other, man. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Uh, I think the only really unique thing I use, I use a guitar pick. So hmm. if I want to, um, I think I have another example here. I'll try to do my best to describe this to the people that are just listening. But here's another example. It's the same style, different kind of pattern. But if you can see this outer layer, there's this continuous line that kind of undulates it 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 reminds me of like the sine or cosine thing and calculus that people Uh may have um observed in math classes back in the day but the way i achieve this pattern is this whole layer is completely covered in glue and then you know i try to lay down a layer that covers that whole section and i'll use a guitar pick and i'll kind of hold it on the flat edge and just smooth out that layer as the disc is spinning. Um, and so that I have a nice, even, thin layer of glue across that whole section. And then when you're parting glue, it's really just that line you're revealing that's going to be exposed for the next layer. So I have a couple guitar picks. Um, they're nothing fancy, but I like using the the guitar pick to spread glue in a layer. So hmm. that might be unique. I don't know. You can yeah. use a credit card. People use credit cards or whatever, but the mm-hmm. guitar pick, I feel like, is I can see what's going on behind my fingers in the guitar pick. I tried mm-hmm. using a credit card, but I felt like I could only see what was scooting out from behind the gigantic credit card. So <laughs> I feel like I just have a better sense of what I'm doing using something smaller like a guitar pick. Yeah, interesting. Do you like to have uh, your glue masking thick, thin, or does it depend? It's got, so I actually, uh, I messed up <laughs> a disc just the other day cause I didn't lay a thick enough layer of glue when mm. I was trying to do that style. And 
you know, there was glue on there, but it was thin enough that the acetone could seep through. So mm. if you, if you make it too thick, you have to wait around a lot longer for it to dry. Um, but then as you're trying to manipulate the glue, because there's so much of it, it's, it, you know, it, it's, it's viscous, it's a liquid, it's not a solid. So if I put too much glue on there, I'll draw a pattern in the glue. And then as it's drying, that glue just starts filling in that space that I've just revealed and it'll cover it up. And then, you know, the end result is cool. I just have a layer of glue on there. Nothing to do with it. Um, <laughs> whereas if it's too thin, as it's drying, it does the same thing. It'll kind of pool in some spots and it'll fill away from others. And so you'll get these bare areas that you didn't intend. So I don't know how to describe, I mean, we're talking about a layer of glue. So the difference between thin and thick is still a really small mm -hmm. measurement. But th that came, I think, with just experimenting and, and doing it a couple of times. And you get a sense of like what's more glue than you need versus not enough or, you know, what's just right. Yeah, Goldie, Goldie I, was saying, you know, <laughs> I was gonna say how thick it is, but it, it's pretty hard to tell somebody how thick you put it on. Yeah, like it, it's hard to describe it. I I would say though, um, you know, uh, on places like Instagram or Reddit, you know, people will be like, "Oh, hey, I tried this, uh, but it didn't turn out," and and I can tell that like, oh, you know, you probably had too runny of a glue or too much glue. Mm -hmm. And you just lost detail as it was filling in those negative spaces that you worked hard to kind of reveal. The glue yeah. will do you dirty sometimes and <sighs> kind of like attack those areas and fill it back up. So that's why I like Elmer's glue. Uh, is at, It seems to be the right consistency. Mm -hmm. um, you know, not all glues are created equal. So if you, if you have a runny batch of glue, then yeah, it's just going to, as it's drying, unless it dries really quick, it... it, it flows back into those spaces so yeah have you ever tried to change the con uh consistency slash viscosity of the glue uh i didn't add anything to the glue but i i threw it in a refrigerator and i figured if it was oh. colder it would be it'd be less likely to flow and then yeah. i've done the opposite where i've left it out in the sun uh -huh. um and yeah I, I think room temperature ended up being just more consistently what i would want but um yeah you probably could find gosh i'm trying to think of what you could add to it i, <laughs> I bet you cornstarch or flour or something you could probably thicken glue up pretty quick doing that but yeah yeah i i, I think that room temperature elmer's glue has worked out um pretty well i haven't had any major problems i do notice though like when it's hot up here in the summer mm -hmm. um you can kind of tell the glue is a little runnier so i think temperature would be how i would could go about controlling that just it seems to be easier to yeah. Or, I don't know. <laughs> it's more consistent probably than trying to master a, a mix of additive to Elmer's glue. Yeah. How long does it usually take for your glue masks to dry? Good question. Um, it must be something about glue. Like a single dot on its own will dry up pretty quickly. But if it's mm -hmm. part of a bigger layer, there's just more moisture, I think, for the whole thing to kind of need to get rid of or evaporate. Mm -hmm. so I, I some sections will dry a little sooner than others and i'm sure that has a lot to do with how thick it is on the plastic too um but i, I i'd say after like two or three hours it you can tell you know it looks dry and it feels dry to the touch but what i've run into and, and i would wait a little longer probably twice as long as you think 
just because that's the surface layer of the glue. Yeah. Um, so that's dry, looks dry. You know, it, it's not glossy anymore. It's kind of matte to if you put it under a light. But there's probably glue underneath that layer that still dries. So I have gotten a perfect layer of glue down. It's looking perfect. I can tell it's going to be great. And then I get my acetone and Q-tip. And as I'm doing that, I can feel yeah. that top layer of glue shift away. And then there's this yeah. gloopy, gloppy mess. And I'm spreading it with acetone. Yeah. And it's picking up color. And now it's dying. And yeah, so <laughs> I, I usually, honestly, what I do, I just let it go overnight. Yeah. Um, I'm typically dying after work. So I'll, I'll do one or two at the point where I'm putting glue down and just leave them overnight. And then that's another day or the day after's um, work to do from there. So, Gotcha. Have you run into any issues where the glue dries out too much and it starts lifting? Yeah, especially very thin lines of glue. Mm-hmm. So here's an example. I really don't know if I'm going to be able to get this on camera, but this section right here has very thin straight lines mm-hmm. and they... Uh, at the end there, the very tip of that line, I mean, it comes to a point. Uh, and as I was dying that one, the ends of those uh, lines, the, the point started lifting off of the disc. And I think it was just because it's not quite enough glue. Yeah. There's not enough mass there. And it's dry enough that the, just the force of the Q-tip running over it lifted mm. it up. So you do have to be mindful of that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, to me, in my experience, it's it's the finer details, it's the thinnest parts of glue that will most likely do that. Otherwise, there tends to be enough mass, or mm-hmm. uh, enough solid, continuous mass of glue to kind of prevent it from lifting off. Have you ever tried to speed up the drying process with anything? Uh, I, I have brought like a, a box fan uh, mm-hmm. and propped it up and... Uh, I think you probably have to be careful there too, though. If the fan's too close and the glue is too dry, you're probably blowing glue <laughs> in a direction over the disc. But yeah, I'll just yeah. turn on a fan, make sure the ceiling fan's on or whatever. Uh, and just the circulation of air will mm-hmm. help speed things along. But I yeah. that's one that, that's one of the reasons I like this style, though, is I think it's meditative, uh, yeah. like I mentioned before. But it's also a deliberate exercise in patience. Okay. Like uh, that's something I have gotten from it. Um, you get to take a step back (laughs) and exercise that muscle of patience because I think I, you know, I'll go into it very eager to get to the end result. And those are always the ones that don't turn out as well as I would like. It's the ones where like, it's okay. I don't have to do it all right now. Do a little bit Mm -hmm. here, a little bit there. And those are the ones that turn out better. So, um, yeah, patience is key. Yeah, yeah, you necessarily can't rush art, except for me because I'm impatient. So uh, (laughs) I'm trying every way to speed things up. Um, uh, I did the box fan once. That took too Mm -hmm. long. Tried a heat lamp. That's kind of inconsistent. The next thing that I'm trying is a dehydrator. Ooh, I mean, when the glue's drying, it's Mm -hmm. it's water that's leaving. So that would make sense to me if you're sucking moisture out of it. Yeah. So, but yes, I... I need to learn some patience sometimes. Well, you know, uh, that kind of ties back into some of the other things we're talking about, like quantity versus quality. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, there's something to be said to get a process down where you can 
make you know you can do more of the cool thing that we like doing uh and yeah. time is always our it's it's the limited resource we all share <laughs> so yeah. you tips know, and, and tricks. And i was gonna say and this dying means different things to different people for some people it's just a way to meditate escape relax mm-hmm. other people you know they're, they're trying to pump out stuff and and create mm-hmm. some money or income for this so it really depends on what you want to get out of it yeah no definitely so, yeah and y- you know i'm gonna try putting it in the fridge <laughs> I was, I was, we were just talking about that yeah. and i just thought like i wonder if uh temperature yeah. uh, i don't know if it'd make it dry but hmm. i can try it but that's cool that's a cool thing too right you can always try something wacky like putting your disc covered and glue in the fridge and mm-hmm. <laughs> see if it leads to an efficiency that uh everyone else can benefit from yeah, just be careful of any significant other wondering why you have stuff in the fridge. Like, what the heck is this? This is a beautiful cookie cake chop. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, is there anything that you would like to try or experiment or do differently or improve upon with your distine? Yeah, I, I think that, um, at least for me, having sort of stuck with this style for as many iterations as I have, they can all, and maybe this is just because I'm the artist and I'm making them all, but you can get to a point where they all feel kind of samesies. They're all sort of iterations of the same thing. So um, I, I think I honestly just need to keep experimenting with the kinds of patterns that I can get out of the glue. Um, there's nothing wrong with identifying the ones that, you know, are easy, you can consistently do, um, you know, are appealing in an end product or, you know, look great. Um, I just know that, you know, sometimes you got to push the envelope and just experiment and keep mm-hmm. experimenting. So that's something I would like to do uh, with my disc dying is just keep working on developing, you know, different patterns or styles that I can get out of the, that kind of glue mask style. Cause, um, there are probably half a dozen that I use a lot. They look great. Don't get me wrong. Um, I think there's a reason I keep using them, but you know, I don't want to ever really get to the point where I make the same disc twice. Um, just because, you know, the joy in it to me is making something truly one of a kind. And I just imagine over enough iterations, they're going to, I'm going to make the same disc twice. So I just want to stay on top of, trying different stuff, different combinations of colors or patterns or what have you. So, Yeah. I personally do want to experiment more with the, more of the glue masking and getting those different patterns. Um, I've done like a few handful of them that are very basic, but uh, mm-hmm. yeah. Have you ever tried using uh, a vinyl stencil for masking your spin dies? So, you know, that's a good point too. I, I think it would be cool. I think I have an opportunity um Oh man, let me make sure I'm getting the. I'm actually gonna look it up. I do not want to get this dyer's name wrong. I want to say it's Moogly Dyes. Uh, mm-hmm. yeah, he's been doing. Uh, he'll do like a spin dye. Uh, he even has like a. He he hooked up like a kaleidoscope thing or I forget what you call it. Uh, it's a thing in grade school. It's like the gears. You'd put your pencil down yeah. and it'd go around and it'd create a cool pattern. But then mm-hmm. he'll do. Um, a completely different style for half of the disc and you know it's shaped like something dripping so he's like mm-hmm. legitimately 
one disc, two distinct styles, but it's coming together in a really cool way. Yeah. I think I have been tempted or encouraged, motivated to do something like that. Um, I just need to bust out my <laughs> cameo machine and, and get out all the vinyl and <laughs> uh, masking tape, all that good stuff. And I, I think that there's an opportunity because the spin dying is something you can do after you've put something down as far as a stencil goes, or uh, you could put a stencil on top of it. I've done that a mm-hmm. handful of times, but um, it was kind of just incidental. Like, you know, someone liked my style, but they also wanted like their favorite Pokemon stencil on it or something mm-hmm. like that. Um, it wasn't with the idea of like intentionally trying to marry those two styles together. So um, yeah, that'd be cool. I think I should give that a shot. I, I haven't tried uh, that in any real sense, you know, I just kind of stenciled something on top of something I had already died. It wasn't in a mindful way. So, yeah, no, I have, uh, two of Moogly's dies cause I liked them that much. And mm-hmm. I believe for like the, uh, the dripping thing, he actually just hand cuts it cause it's, it's simple enough. Right. Oh, tr- uh, true. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. It, not a complicated pattern. Yeah. Um, yeah. but be careful with vinyl and acetone. It, it'll work for a short time, but if the I, vi, the acetone will eat the vinyl away, right? Ask yeah, the heat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, I'm yeah. sure. Yeah, that th- those are the fun things you get to you get to learn firsthand. That uh, <laughs> you only have to learn once, but boy, yeah, the, it's a tough it's lesson like, to learn. I was spin dying, and like the vinyl started getting mushy. I'm like, what the hell's going on? Oh shit, it's eating eating it away. Right. Do you have a favorite type of plastic that you like to dye or brand? Mm. Uh, ideal scenario is a star-like plastic. So it's the the gummy premium plastic, the opaque gummy premium plastic. Uh, I think every manufacturer has some version of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if it's a white disc, all the better. Uh, <laughs> light color discs work fine. I have done spin dyes on like a light blue or a light pink or a light purple and gotten all of the colors of the rainbow to pop on there but um a white disc there's something just so satisfying i think mm-hmm. about having <laughs> the top of your disc dyed you know to the umpteenth degree all kinds of colors and then you take a peek on the back and you're like whoa this thing was <laughs> yeah. had none of that uh i love yeah. that but um but yeah i gosh i've been dying a lot of mvp a lot of glitches uh that's yeah, I hopped on the bandwagon. I also throw it, so you know I'm also um, tempted to bag every one of them that I die. But mm. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, honestly, uh, whatever premium opaque light colored disc I can get my hand on, I'll give it a go. So I also gotcha. like uh, what would you call it? Uh, it I think it's Champion plastic, or uh, I know Trilogy. It's Lucid. It it's essentially just kind of the translucent premium plastic that's maybe not like as grippy um uh-huh. i like dyeing those too um you just got to be careful of like how clear the disc is not to say that um my style doesn't work on a clear disc but um it's just going to look a little different because light passes through it easier so it's kind of cool though you can kind of get like a an hourglass vibe with a clear disc um you in my experience i just have to put more color down just mm-hmm. to make sure that the color um, is apparent and end result as opposed to just kind of being 
a slightly red clear versus a slightly blue clear versus a, you know yeah so i know you mentioned you have some favorite colors what mm -hmm. are those favorite colors of yours i am a huge i, I guess i call it uh what would you call it? Like a sunset, I think, in this example. I really like the mm. red to orange to yellow. I gravitate towards that color combination a lot. Um, I think in some of my favorite... I think in some of the favorite dyes I've ever done, uh, they they have that pattern somewhere in the dye. And all the better if you juxtapose it to a blue, because then you've literally got like the sky, mm -hmm. like a sunset. So, um, again, going back to color theory... Yeah. Blue and red, <laughs> those jive well. And then red to yellow is an easy transition. So I think that's my favorite color combination. Um, is do, you have, the, do you have specific the, colors from ProChem that you yeah, like? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I love the uh, neon hot orange. Mm. Um, I typically use it for a super, super bright yellow. Uh, it says orange on there, but I, I, I use it as a yellow. Uh, the more layers you put down, the more orange it gets. But uh, And then, you know, you throw that under a black light, mm -hmm. and it pops. It's awesome. Uh, yeah. I don't always advertise my discs with their you you know black light pizzazz, but uh, it's mm -hmm. kind of the, the hidden secret in a lot of them is those neon colors are great. Um, I really like... Uh, I use... Uh, what's that thing? I think it's called Dark Dungeon. That's what I yeah. use for my black... But uh, as long as you go easy on it and don't layer it up too much, you can kind of get shades of blue and purple out of it too. So hmm, nice. um, I really like that. Uh, I can get black just with enough layers, but I can kind of use that for a super dark blue or purple too. I like the versatility of that um, of that color. Do you mix any custom colors at all? Not like uh, not in the bottle. Um, I don't mix the colors. Um, so that it's you know pre-mixed. I, I do a ton of blending uh, when it's on the disc. So um, pushing the red color into the orange section or grabbing a Q-tip with just acetone on it and then going over the color with that, it'll pick up some of the dye. And so then your Q-tip's like slightly red and then you go into the orange section and then it picks up some of that. And it's like now your Q-tip's slightly the mix of those. And so I'll do a lot of that and um, mix colors that way. But that's probably another area I can experiment is, you know, chucking in a few dabs of this and dabs of that and seeing what colors I can get just right from the get go. So admittedly, that's something I should probably go try. I don't know why yeah. I didn't think to do that. <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome. Uh, Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, um, I always keep forgetting that you do have just straight up acetone that you can manipulate on the disc of like what mm -hmm. you said to pick up a color, to potentially make it a little bit lighter to, to blend mm -hmm. or whatever. So, yeah. yeah, I I gotta remember yeah. that sometimes. It it won't it won't always fix. Yeah, you can't really you can't really use it to undo something. Once once the especially with the pure <laughs> acetone mix, once it's on there, it's on there. But yeah. you can take a Q-tip with just acetone, and it'll kind of extract some of the dye from the disc and lighten it up. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know I'll I'll use that intentionally too. Um, you know if I wanted a section to be really light in color can always go over it again with uh you know a q-tip with just acetone and it won't make it white <laughs> but yeah, it'll pick up color no, and, yeah there's no undo button it can maybe no. make it a little bit lighter but it's not an eraser <laughs> no 
Well, and that's when that patience comes into it too, right? It's like, all right, every stroke of the Q-tip is permanent. That's how you have to treat it. So. <laughs> yes, I know I mentioned this before, but disc dyeing, uh, you know, a lot of people don't consider themselves artists or do art, but disc dyeing I think is like one of the hardest mediums of art because it is so permanent. Yeah. Um, paint, you can paint over it with white. Disc dyeing, it's like once it's on there, it's on there. Yeah, definitely. There. There is no white dye. <laughs> if someone could make that, they yes. uh, they are in for a payday. But <laughs> yeah, no, there's a. That, I think that's why it's so cool, though. Like you'll see someone, um, turn out just an awesome dye, and you know, I'm prone to just staring at. It. Like I'll look it all over, up and down, and I'll just be like, I don't see a single thing mm. that I could call a mistake. Mm-hmm. Like. If that were me, I'd walk away like that was perfect. And, yeah. and it's all that more impressive when you realize like all it takes is an overloaded Q-tip that literally drips a piece of dye somewhere mm-hmm. or, uh, you know, a stencil. There's a gap and that color leaks or, you know, um, there's lots of things that can go wrong and there's no real easy way to undo it. I, Maybe you can cover it up kind of like uh, they cover up tattoos. You just mm-hmm. kind of – but but then again, you're just putting more art to cover up the art, so it's still mm-hmm. impressive. <laughs> yeah. This dying is basically just covering up your mistakes, so yeah. Oh, I feel that. that I should make T-shirts. <laughs> <laughs> uh, do you have any tips or tricks that you would give either beginner disc dyers or any seasoned veterans out there? Yeah, for beginners, um, this is probably cliche. Um, the biggest advice I could give is take the plunge and do it. Um, I think with all of the things you can go watch, view, you can listen to podcasts like podcasts like this. You you can start um, miles ahead where some of us have started, and none of it will amount to anything if you don't ever do it. So even armed with all the knowledge in the world, which I encourage people to, you know, you know, not, I, I'm a relatively risk adverse person. Um, so I'm definitely of the mindset, like I want to acquire, I want to figure out what I'm going to try to do before I go, so go set out and do it. Um, but you can stay in that spot forever. You just have to take the plunge and decide like, I'm going to try it. Like today's the day I'm going to go do it. And it may not be perfect. Nobody's first disc was even close to perfect. So, um, it's just kind of the cliche of no better time than the present. And, uh, every thousand mile journey begins with a single step. Um, and honestly, it feels weird. Uh, like saying that what I do as far as dying discs go is easy, but it's relatively easy once you actually go out and do it. Um, there's challenges, um, you know, patience and all of that good stuff. But, you know, I, I'm not I'm not moving mountains. Um, I'm not parting the sea. Um, it's a skill that you can develop, and I, I don't think that it's an insurmountable or particularly challenging thing. Uh, the challenging part is sticking to it and just actively trying to get better. For vets, um, I know I spend a lot of time looking at it um, from like a business side. Uh, 
you don't no one you don't have like you said everyone gets different things out of it i'm not really i have so much fun doing it that if i didn't make money and i and i broke even that'd be fine uh what money i do make again it just, if if i want to buy a disc or a bag or whatever i just have peace of mind knowing that like i'm not uh dipping into all the other funds i need for life or <laughs> other things that me and my family are trying to achieve so it just kind of like funds my own habit which is which is nice um but because i look at it as a business it, i think people can definitely take a closer look at uh what their expenses really are um if you're just looking at how much the disc costs you versus what you're charging for it you're missing out on your time uh you're not factoring in you know how expensive that cricket machine was or your record player or all of those things like those are all expenses that you have to account for and you know in theory you have to recoup that cost with your disc sales so I would seriously consider, you know, what you need to charge for your discs, what what you feel comfortable with charging, but then, you know, what you need to charge to say break even and just get like actually analyze where your benchmark is. Where where's ground where's ground zero? Where what's my minimum? And then honestly, I think the best thing you could do is just get a second opinion like Ask someone you trust, hey, how much would you spend on this? And, you know, if, if you trust their judgment, you know, maybe this isn't any one person you go to for this information, but just see if there's a way that you can gauge, like, what people are actually willing to pay. Because um, if everyone snags one of your discs and is like, man, that was a bargain, that was a steal, you're probably able to charge a little more, right? Like, there's probably a point where the vast majority of those people would be like, I'd still happily pay if it was $10 more. So um, that's what I would say to people, um, you know, people who've been dying for a while that, that are selling their discs is just, um, just seriously consider how much it costs you and, you know, factor in your time, all of the expenses and uh, just be mindful of what you're actually getting in return. Cause mm -hmm. If you're trying to turn a profit, nothing wrong with that. But there's a lot more to consider than just money in, money out. There's time and all that good stuff. So, yeah, um, and I'm open to sharing like what everybody sells their discs for. And if you're willing, like, what is your, what do you price your discs at? Right. Uh, I tried being all. Uh, gimmicky with it so uh, $49.99 I, I didn't say 50 I tried playing the mind game of the $49.99 registers differently not, in your brain it's not gimmicky <laughs> it's called marketing right right fair enough um, I think as I was looking you know and I'm victim to it too I when I decided I wanted to try to reach out to people and sell discs um, and just turn it into kind of a side hustle I did look at various places on oh, what are people charging and i think that somewhere between 40 and 60 dollars was about the range that i saw um uh and you know i was like okay pen to paper i had my spreadsheet uh what i try to do is 
once it's all said and done, so after shipping, after the envelope, like, you know, all of the expenses, I want to walk away with, uh, in my pocket, enough money to pay for the disc that I died and at least that much again in profit so that for every disc I die, I could go buy two. Um, and so on and so forth. So when I started, that was the goal was, all right, I'm risk averse Jason here. I'm not as brave as my friend who opened up his dice business and just plunged head in. Like I need to ease into this to feel comfortable. So it was, if I buy one disc, how can I get to where I can go buy two more? And then those two, I could go get four and it hasn't quite worked that exponentially, but that's the idea is that you're covering the cost of the disc. Um, all of the other expenses and then enough to go buy another disc. And so for me, uh, kind of where I'm at is if I make money in excess of funding my own disc golf habit, that's, that's, that's icing on the cake. But I know that if, if this is to fund my disc golf habit, if for every disc I die and sell, I can go buy a disc for me, we're golden. We're, we're in a mm-hmm. good spot. So, um, typically the way it works out is I charge the, you know, $49.99 or the $50. And after the cost of the disc and the shipping and all of that, um, I'm usually left with, honestly about like 40 bucks. And so as long as I'm not paying more than $20 for a disc, I'm pretty safely paying for that disc, another disc, and then maybe a little bit extra too. So, um, that's just kind of how I've approached it. And, um, yeah, it's relatively sustainable. I'm, Mm -hmm. you know, if I ever want to try a disc, I can buy two of them, try one for me, die one up and sell it. And then I have net, spent nothing and gotten to try this. So that's kind of how I think about it. Yeah. That, um, that's a good simple equation to do is, uh, if you can make enough money to buy two discs, then Mm -hmm. you're you're on a good path. Um, again, I still think that's pretty undervalued, but you know, yeah. Yep. Well, and, and, uh, part of that too is, uh, you know, the, the discs get better and better, and uh, I, you know I think all disc golfers would agree we're paying a little more for them, especially mm-hmm. like the high end ones. And so then then you have to sit down and think, okay, well, if the disc I was, if the discs I typically die are like seventeen bucks, say, and this disc costs me twenty five, if you follow that equation, you know, even just that simple equation, the price is going to be higher, and you know, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I, I've I've charged more when it's like a custom order, like when someone reaches out to me and wants something specific. Mm-hmm. Um, I definitely tend to charge more on, on, on those, just, I don't know, for whatever reason. Um, but yeah, I, 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 that's something I think that uh, I know I've considered. I've, I've experimented with charging more here recently, too. Um, I think what drove that for me, though, to be perfectly honest, was the cost of the discs itself. So if I can't get the disc for... Um, you know, nearly that low of a price, then I'm comfortable charging more, but it's a premium disc and it just happens mm-hmm. to have a die on it. People are spending more on those anyway. So, yeah, I mean, it is supply and demand. If you're selling more at your price, you can try to raise it. Um, mm-hmm. or, or if you're like me and don't have time to do this, you just raise it really high. And if someone really wants it, they'll really buy it. Well, that, that and I think that's, um, uh, for me, that's kind of the balance of, 
Um, gosh, I don't know. I'm looking over at my little inventory here. I probably have like 13 or 14 discs that I've died and am advertising or selling. Mm-hmm. I've probably got 10 more that I can die. And for me, just the pattern I'm going is I am spending money to acquire the discs, but counting on being able to sell them and, you know, the end goal being I'm not out of pocket any money for disc golf. So I lean towards wanting to sell them relatively quickly yeah. because um, I'm risk averse and I get nervous when I'm sitting on like $300 worth of discs and I get a little mm-hmm. antsy. I'm like, oh, I really, yeah. I got to get that money back. Otherwise, you know, it's the beginning of the end. Uh, you know, <laughs> that's how my mind works. So I think where I've priced it, I'm pretty, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty comfortable on how quickly I can get them sold, but. I've also, if you, if you're willing to play the long game, you put a lot into a disc and you think it's top notch. I a hundred percent think it's totally worth just knowing that there's going to be someone somewhere that that mm-hmm. disc just speaks to them. That's the one they want. It's exactly what they want. And they're willing to pay a, a higher price for it. And you know, maybe, maybe that's something I should consider. Um, I know that I have my own sense of what looks good. And so mm-hmm. occasionally I'll make a disc where I'm just like, I would buy that. Like I would spend eighty, ninety dollars on that disc, and then maybe I should listen to that voice in my head and list it for that price, and just trust yeah. my own judgment at this point. Um, and you know, maybe same amount of effort, same style, but just the way it turned out, um, it just captured magic, and be willing to charge to you know um, reflect that magic. So I think that's probably an area I could listen to myself more on too. Yeah, no, um, absolutely. And I'm just trying to think of like just any other artist terms. Um, typically, higher pl- paying clients or clientele are easier to work with than the cheap ones. Um, so, say if you charge like a cheap commission, they want everything from the moon and back for 30 bucks. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like, yeah, no. Uh, but the yeah. ones that are willing to pay the the premium and understand and respect the art are obviously easier to work with. Mm-hmm. Um, so do you like to do uh, more commissions or do you like to build up your inventory? Which I think I know the answer, but... Yeah, I'm kind of an inventory guy. Um, okay. I'll do commissions here or there. Um, I, I, I like doing them. Uh, admittedly, they stress me out a little bit. Yeah. Particularly yeah. when someone sends me their disc. Yes. Um, it's just a lot of responsibility. It, it, I, I just, I'm just taking it seriously, mm-hmm. but maybe to the point where I psych myself out and I'm like, I don't not want to ruin this guy's disc. Um, but I, I, maybe that's other advice too, is I would just say there have been people who've reached out to me and like, Ooh, I'd really like this done. And it's just not the style that I work in all the time mm-hmm. or I'm the most comfortable with. And you just got to be willing uh, to be like, Hey, I mean, I could do this. I'll take it. I could take a stab at it, but I know someone who does it way better. Like go DM this guy. Like this is what he does. Check out his page. If you like it, I'm sure he would love to do this. And I would be more confident having you go get it from him than me. So I just make the expectation like, Hey, you know, this is my style. This is what I like doing. This is what I feel like I can guarantee you. I'm going to get you back something that that's Mm -hmm. awesome. So, um, maybe, you know, I turn away some business doing that, but that, that just helps me go into it feeling like 
what the end result is going to be is going to make both of us super happy. Like, I'm not going to feel like I charged you for an okay cell die mm-hmm. or an okay, you know, insert style. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I know that I can spin die and make something look awesome and get that to you. So, um, I, I do yeah, it every no. now and then, but it, yeah, it stresses me out. <laughs> <laughs> no, I've done the same thing. It's like, you know, I could do it, but I don't really want to. Here are some dyers that mm-hmm. can uh, that I get happy results from. So Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, speaking of selling stuff, have mm-hmm. you vended at events, or are you interested in that? Uh, I have. Uh, I've done it once. Uh, so last year... Um, in the Kansas City Wide Open. Uh, last year, the tournament, it was the same weekend for pros and ams, and so the uh, the block party, or whatever you want to call it, was super accessible. And uh, there wasn't any red tape. I they you know Vendors were basically just free to show up. Um, so I brought this plastic table. I printed off some signs and laminated them that had like prices and QR codes for Venmo and stuff, and I literally just went and plopped myself right next to like all of the fancy tents. <laughs> People had tents and signs and fancy bins with all of the discs. And I just kind of plopped in right next to them. And I just had my little laminated sign, blood feather dies. And I just had probably two dozen discs that were dyed up. And yeah, I just kind of sat there and waved and uh, not a gimmick, marketing. I'm on board yes. now. Uh, my uh, wife made oatmeal cream pie cookies by it, from scratch. And so we were also vending cookies, which was a nice way to get oh, people to come over. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, um, she sold more cookies than me, uh, than discs. <laughs> we sold more cookies than discs, but I eked out uh, in sales just a little bit. So <laughs> I sold a couple discs and she sold a couple dozen cookies. So it worked out, but... Uh, it was yeah. it was super fun. It was it was fun. Um, I felt a little outclassed because there were legit vendors there, but uh, that's nothing to stop me from doing it. Or I don't know. I feel like my table, my crappy plastic table, had some charm to it. So yeah. I had a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, no. Again, yeah. it's just like this time you got to get out and do it. Um, well, that that's exactly what it was. It was just kind of a. I, I mean, I dye discs. I sell them online. Uh, I play disc golf all the time i i live in kansas city this is a a big tournament in kansas city i was like what a fool i would be to not show up and just Mm -hmm. you know just be there and if i don't sell anything boo-hoo i got to you know take part in the festivities and and catch a few pros and wave to people i see on jomez pro and all that stuff so it was pretty fun and uh i would do it again um I've also been tempted on like uh, just kind of low stakes local tournaments, just showing up and selling discs out of the back of my car, which uh, I've seen people do. So mm-hmm. mm. some of it's just uh, what do I want to do with the day? <laughs> yeah. Am I going to go play or am I going to go sell discs? So yeah, you got a van. Hey kids, you want to buy some discs? <laughs> <laughs> you want some candy? I mean discs. <laughs> come come in here. <laughs> um. So, if you were to start disc dyeing, is there anything that you would do differently knowing what you know now? Hmm, let me put it this way. I think that at least the the crowd that I seem to follow on social media, I'm not a big social media guy. Like, I don't even have a Facebook, which is probably 
probably killing me. <laughs> Should That's probably get a Facebook. Eh, yeah. yeah. But I do Instagram and Reddit and uh at least in those communities. Um I think it's clear to me that a lot of disc dyers are as much like content creators, like making awesome reels on Instagram or um putting out tutorial videos or, you know, having a YouTube, you know, um, I think that if I could go back in time, I would just put more effort into that upfront or early on. Um, I think I could still do it, but I do have this sort of daydream every now and then of like, okay, I'm going to wake up and be a YouTuber. Uh, what am I going to do? And the only idea I've ever come up with is how long, (laughs) Would it take me starting from scratch to turn disc dying into a full-time job? Because I think if my friend who has the, the tabletop gaming thing did that, it would be a awesome YouTube channel because he did that and it would be cool yeah. to document that process. And, um, I think that, uh, I don't know. I think the same way that, uh, disc golf in general exploded with COVID, like mm-hmm. I see more disc dyers than ever. I see a lot of yeah. like, interest in it. And I think that, if anyone's getting into it to make money, um, there's just like the reality of it that, uh, mm-hmm. if someone documented that, I'm sure people would get a lot out of it and, and learn or know what to expect or maybe what not to anticipate having happening. And <laughs> yeah. Um, one, you should totally do that. Yeah. Well, yeah. Um, I know <laughs> it's been an idea I've had for a while. I should just start doing it. Right. Yeah. Um, two, we, so Jory from Jory Fly Dies, he was going to um, put together a master class on the business side of disc dyeing. Um, mm-hmm. So some tips and tricks and what you should or shouldn't know about that, you know, how to market yourself. Um, but yeah, that'd be awesome if you did something as well. Um, and you're more than welcome to become an instructor and do a master class either on that or even on any other technique like your glue masking and spin dyeing of how you do that. Yeah, that'd um, be awesome. Because it's one of the reasons why I started the Dyers Guild is there's not a whole lot of money in dyeing discs, but I know there's a lot of people that want to dye their own discs, so I want to uh, foster a community to make that easier for people with you know um, consolidated good educational content that is trusted as well as mm-hmm. resources to uh, get any dye materials. But I'd love to have you uh, do a class on anything. No, no. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Yeah. I, uh, I've done one, I guess I don't want to say I did it. I didn't edit it. <laughs> I didn't do any of the, the video magic, but uh, I've done one kind of tutorial with uh, the man, the legend himself, T Diddy, uh, the difference is doing it on YouTube. Um, nice. and I just went over a handful of the glue patterns, but, um, mm-hmm. yeah, it would be cool just to, uh, have an entire repository of glue patterns and an yeah. instructional little deal for each of those. Yeah. I, that's something I, uh, I just need to put, I guess not pen to paper, but camera to <laughs> whatever. Yeah. I just need to do that. That'd be cool. I think yeah. a business side of it is, would be a great idea. Um, yeah, for sure. Cause I, I didn't, I knew this was coming, uh, but I didn't do anything super proactive about it, but I knew that because I was selling things, 
mm-hmm. that uh, you know the IRS is going to want their fair share. So, um, <laughs> yeah, I did eventually make a spreadsheet, uh, which made it so much easier when it came time to like try to report that <laughs> or send yeah. that stuff to my tax guy. But that's another idea I've had is just making a Excel spreadsheet with all the bells and whistles that is like universal, like download your copy and start filling mm-hmm. it out and then you're good to go. Um, no, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I feel like you are a rare one cause you have that uh, business mindset. I feel like a lot of artists in general do not like the business side of things and any help that they can get, they would eat it up. Oh, I bet. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I, I don't know if I'm more of an artist or a business guy, but, uh, I, I'm, I'm just like that. Like I'm, I yeah. just know about myself. I'm kind of risk averse. Like I like the comfort of my nine to five as much as it like mm-hmm. <laughs> drives me nuts sometimes. But, uh, yeah, the, the, that's, it's such a, it's such a stereotype that's true. Like the, the artist versus the, like the business guy, like mm-hmm. this is a weird or this is a unique uh, kind of area where like that person is often the same person. Like, yeah, it, it, you know, a lot of these are like one man shows, right? So, yeah, uh, you gotta be the artist and have the business acumen if you're really out here to sell discs and stuff. So no, absolutely. And, um, not everybody either wants to do that or is capable because it is, it is a skill set cause it's, mm-hmm. Uh, different parts of your brain that you have to use. Um, but yeah. Yeah. It, it's, I think it's less fun. <laughs> the business side is <laughs> less fun. It, it, it's, you know, numbers and quantities <laughs> and yeah, it's, it's not as exciting, but yeah. Yeah. That's where a, a really good, like Excel spreadsheet, you know, is if it's boring you to death, at least you don't have to do, think too hard you just plug in the number here and spits out what you need. So yeah. Um, weird fact about me. I like making Google spreadsheets with really cool formulas and everything that calculates stuff. Like you do just, it's satisfying. (laughs) Oh yeah. No, it's, I really like it, uh, in those spreadsheets where you do something on sheet a and then on like sheet 12, (laughs) it's accounted for that and presents it. Yeah. I'm, I, I'm, a. I'm a nut for those kinds of things. It's just super fun. I uh, back in college, like even with like workout programs, I would make an Excel spreadsheet that (laughs) it spit out, like do this week one and then week three. And then (laughs) I just love it. Nice. All right. Well, we got to know a lot about your disc dyeing techniques, tips and tricks, but we're going to get to know you on a personal level now. Alrighty. So the section that I have is your favorite faves. First question, what is your favorite uh, song or band? I think my favorite band, going off of the number of listens, is handedly ACDC. I had an old iPod, and I had over like 1,500 listens to Back in Black by ACDC. I would listen to it walking to and from school. So I think (laughs) that mathematically that has to be my answer. (laughs) Nice. Um, Ooh, there you go. Okay. There you go. <laughs> I maybe listened to it once or twice. I got it when I got my record player because I wanted a record to put on the thing. But nice. yes, I do have the ACDC record. It's probably not going to play very well. 
<laughs> no, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. I, I think as long as I can remember every birthday, as long as they put out an album, I feel like I would get that. Uh, I'd get the album as like a birthday gift. So uh, <laughs> uh, nice. Yeah, a lot of uh, a lot of positive memories for ACDC. Yes. Um, so a quick side note for, um, I think it was like eight or 10 and I won, um, I was published in a uh, poem book or whatever. Mm-hmm. And the outfit that I wore for the awards, uh, looked like the guitar player from, um, ACDC. Was it Angus <laughs> Young? Yeah. Angus Where Young. He, yep. Like he's like in a, a, he's in like a school kid outfit and yeah, that's awesome. So I looked exactly <laughs> like that. Uh, anyways, um, what is your favorite food? Me and my wife have been making, uh, like a Korean style beef bowl, like almost every week for a while now. So it take ground beef and cook it, uh, until it starts and I mash it up. So it's really small pieces and it starts getting crispy. Like you want it to kind of get not burnt, but you want Mm -hmm. it to have like that deep, dark Brown crispiness. And then you just throw in like onions and peppers and, um, I like spicy things, so uh, I'm throwing in a lot of like red pepper flakes and things like that. And then, and then you know, just whatever teriyaki sauce you like. I'm sure we could get to making teriyaki sauce, but that seems like just way too much effort. <laughs> so we'll just get a teriyaki sauce we like, and you just put it in there and put that all over rice and just go to town. And uh, that mm. I, that's I mean I like chipotle for the same reason, just meat and rice. Yes. If you can give me meat and rice, I'm a happy camper. Maybe a little bit of vegetables in there. Call it good. Huh. I might have to try something like that. Um, so my comfort food uh, is chicken, chicken, so chicken in a can, and minute rice with lots of butter and salt. <laughs> that sounds good. That sounds good. I've rocked the canned chicken in college, that and tuna. Like, <laughs> Yeah. I have an affinity for it. That's kind of like where spam, it came though. from. <laughs> because... Uh, yeah college don't have a lot of money uh what is your favorite beverage oh gosh i don't know if i've ever heard it pronounced i hope i'm not butchering it uh it's i usually find it in like the hispanic food section and they're canned i think they call it nectar i think it's jumex j-u-m-e-x but essentially it's just like really good juice and i'm talking like i had a pineapple coconut nectar and like there were bits of coconut in it or, you know, I, I like pulp and orange juice, for example. So like, it's yeah. just straight up, like it's juice. It's not a juice flavored beverage or whatever. It's juice. And I really like those and I shouldn't buy them because I, I'll get like a dozen of them because they have a dozen flavors. You got to get one of each. And, uh, yeah. you know, we'll go to the store on Sunday and by Wednesday there's like three left. And I'm like, I should not count up how much sugar <laughs> I've had because I'll never drink uh, one of these again. Yeah. Those also sound good. Damn, there's a lot of things that i got to try now. You, I have them together. I'll have my beef bowl and my Jumex. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Recommend. Um, so besides disc golf and disc dying, what other hobbies do you have? It's been a hot second since I've whooped it out, but uh, I got this. It, they call it a groove box. And essentially, it's like a synth and an electronic drum machine kind of all in one. And... Mm. The cool thing is, is you don't really have to know anything about music because it's always in key and you can specifically set like, um, the beat or the rhythm, you know, they have the different, uh, speeds and music, uh, 
I, I see. I don't even know the music terms, but tempo. you can set all that up. And then there's just a bunch of key. Yeah. Tempo. And there's a bunch of keys and they're just notes and you can literally just play around. You can choose to record and you can end up making just like, um, either like little loops of tunes or songs or I think, gosh, I haven't logged into it in a while, but, uh, this was the hobby I was experimenting with before I got into disc dying. So that's why I haven't done it in a hot set because disc dying showed up and booted it right out of the way. But yeah, yeah. you're no fun to me anymore. Goodbye. Yeah. Um, it, is it, gosh, I was say, is it a physical <laughs> device or is it software or both? Yeah, no, it, it's, uh, you know what? Uh, I'm going to run and get it. It's, it's right downstairs. Right. It's going to be an awkward absence, but, uh, enjoy my spinning chair, I guess. This episode of Dying to Listen, presented by the Disc Golf Dyers Guild. Your one-stop shop for disc dyeing needs, such as masterclasses where you can learn amazing disc dyeing stuff. You can also get your disc dyeing supplies from blank discs to dyes and everything you need. This is what it looks like. So okay. it's got yeah. a bunch of knobs and, uh, yeah. you know, you can control your... Um, yeah, it's, I guess it's just all of the things you would probably want to do if you were like editing music. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you can introduce echoes and distortions and stuff, but really what you do is you just plug it up to the computer and you can essentially download like kinds of sounds. Um, yeah. And yeah, and then you can kind of just, you know, they, they all light, it all lights up and it's color coded. And I really don't remember. I probably have to relearn how to, do a lot of it but it was super fun while i did it and i got a few things that i was super happy with and you know i put it on soundcloud or whatever and if i ever make any more youtube videos i have my royalty free music because i can just make it yeah there you go yeah Uh, i I forget what the technical term for that thing is um but yeah the like the lights go across with the beat and you put in Mm -hmm. what you want for sounds yeah yep um i should know this anyways i should too uh, i spent so long messing with it (laughs) well i went to college for music recording and technology so i should know this um awesome that's awesome uh what other hobbies do you have oh uh, i think i mentioned it Uh, board games dungeons and dragons uh i always kind of lean towards being the dungeon master um being the i don't know the the guy that puts the challenges in front of people i'm also a complete dork so i go all in i do the voices um you know i'll do the faces uh i'll, I'll i like the acting part of it so you know i'll yes. be the old guy that you need to get advice from you know i like doing all that kind of stuff <laughs> okay now we're set <clears throat> we're good oh that's awesome yes yep. uh. <laughs> <laughs> that's fantastic Part of a shaman costume for the prophets of Tremala, which is the fictitious god that you pray to uh, to have a good round of disc golf. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, I think I've just adopted a new religion. <laughs> yes. Uh, I will send you a link, but uh, I think if you go to Tremala.com, you'll find more. That's fantastic. Oh, that's so good. <laughs> I can send you a link. Um, <laughs> All right. Uh, next section. If you had to pick three discs to use for the rest of your life to play any course, what would those three be and why? I really love this question. I'm a nobody when it comes to disc golf, like playing, but I've been so tempted to make an in the bag because I just think it's so fun to see what people throw. Yeah. If I had three discs 
I would probably go with an Infinite Discs Dynasty for the driver. Um, it's a great neutral to stable driver. Um, I'm pretty sure it's an old Discmania mold. It's in a, it's Innova made. I think it's a CD too, is what it used to be. Do you know the but numbers it, on that by chance? Yeah, it's a speed nine, glide five, turn minus one, fade two. It, okay. It's it fits that. That's a that's a good spot. Uh, that's a that's a great slot that I think a lot of people bag, which is kind of the like. You can get it to turn. You can get some turn out of it, but um, it's not flippy, you know, super flippy. It's just that great like super glidey nine speed. It's the kind of disc where. It's a nine speed, but of all of the discs in my bag, I think I could, if you put a gun to my head, throw that one the farthest, uh, even though it's only a nine speed. So mm-hmm. I'd go with that. Um, I'm really digging the Axiom Hex. I have one of those Simon Lozadel, the little mm. axolotl on there. Mm-hmm. That one's like, I can throw it as hard as I want and it goes straight, just straight. doesn't even really fade much if I really crunch it. So, um, that's probably like my preferred shot in general is straight. Yeah. The dynasty I can get pretty straight lines too. Um, I guess I would need a putter. Um, man, I'd probably go with the zone and I would just try putting with a zone. <laughs> well, there you go. I, I think my goal would be just get close enough to the basket that I could put with any one of them. <laughs> yeah. That's an easier go of it for me. If I don't have to put then I'm doing doing a lot better <laughs> yeah well you know putting is important but if you have a great drive who needs to putt anyways i i i did like martial arts uh when i was a uh, when i was a kid when i was younger um i did powerlifting mm. in in college and I, so i think i'm i would call myself relatively athletic um i think really i, I actually studied studied exercise science as an undergrad so um I think I have a good sense of like bodily mechanics. So disc golf was always super fascinating to me because it's such a unique like athletic movement. Mm-hmm. There's not really a one-to-one comparison uh, with like your, you know, the disc golf motion, at least for backhand. I, I gravitated toward focusing a lot on driving. Like when I was first gotten to disc golf, that was what fascinated me. So that's just what I spent more time on. Um, putting, I think, knowing what I know now, is probably, you know, it's drive for show, putt for dough. But I'm not out yes. to make money playing disc golf, so I'd rather drive for show. <laughs> yes. <sighs> big yeah. distance. Big distance. Yeah. Um, uh, next section, Lee Perfect Hole. What has been your favorite course and or hole that you've played so far? Here in Lenexa, Kansas, a new course just got put up. It's called Black Hoof Park. Uh, it was designed by Eric McCabe. And um, I think what I heard on uh, Apollo Disc Golf's YouTube channel, he was he's, he's a local to Kansas City, too, and he was reviewing it. And I think he said that, like, a three-over round on the... Um, the gold layout, you know, so longest tee pad to longest basket, a three over is a thousand rated, which wow, that it, it's a challenging course. Um, 
I have yet to play it in that layout. I play uh, a closer T-pad mm-hmm. and maybe like the <laughs> mid or the short basket, but um, I've been really loving that course just because of how challenging it is. Like I have no doubt that uh, there's going to be a professional disc golf tournament there at some point. Like, it feels like that's what they designed it for is they wanted kind of a, I don't know, I get the sense Kansas City is just trying to get uh, disc golf back in Kansas City at the pro level. And, you know, that's what the, the Kansas City Wide Open this year. Uh, I went mm-hmm. to it last weekend and, and watched Cannon Burr take down the win, spoilers. Um, <laughs> it was a, yeah, that was a, like it's a Silver Series, I think. So it wasn't quite uh, as big of a tournament as, you know, the stuff we're used to watching on like Joe Mez, but it was still a disc golf pro tour stop. So mm-hmm. I think that that course Black Hoof Park is Kansas City's attempt to push the needle on like what caliber of professional disc golf visits the area. Um, so I've been loving that course. And as far as uh, hole one on that course really sets the tone. It is a ton of trees with a very clear gap or tunnel or fairway, whatever you want to call it. Like it's obvious what you need to do, but it is a wall of trees. And if you're off by a little bit, you're off by a lot. Um, and it, it's, it's got elevation. It's got the trees. You can't see the basket. It's a blind shot. Like it's just got all the things that just set the tone of like, you're in for a world of hurt, but it's, it's super fun. Nice. I'm a, so, sometimes you just got to sign up for like that, that disc golf masochism where you're like, <sighs> all right, course, have your way with me. Like do what you got to do. I'm here to have fun. And, Mm-hmm. I, I dare you to get wipe the smile off my face by the time we're done. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there's a course around here called Silver Lake that it's a, definitely a challenging course during the summer with all the brush. And it's like you can't even see where the baskets are and you just got to throw and hope for the best. Yep. Yep. Spray uh, and pray. <laughs> pretty much. Are there or is there a course on your bucket list that you'd like to play um, I'm going to forget the name now. I think it's the one that uh, like the MVP Open is at. I forget the name of the course. Uh, the hole I'm picturing is they like throw over a pond and a ton of trees. Maple I can picture Hill? it in my head. Maple Hill. Yep, you got it. Yep. <laughs> uh, Maple Hill. That would be such a fun one to go to. Really, kind of any of those like super famous ones where mm-hmm. I could go and play. And stand at the tee pad and think of all of the perfect shots I've seen on Jomez <laughs> and then do my best to replicate that. And uh, even if once, one time out of 18, I do something sort of close to that, that'd be mm-hmm. super fun to be like, oh, I, yeah. I did what did what the greats were capable of doing. Whether or not mm-hmm. I could do it, I have no idea. But Yeah. And speaking of pro disc golfer, if they're, um, so if you had a dream date, who would you pick for as a, a pro disc golfer and why would you pick them to hang out with and play around with? I think there are a lot of answers. Uh, there'd be a lot of people I'd be giddy to go play with, but I'm going to go with who I think is just going to be the most fun to play around with. Like who I think is going to have the coolest conversation. I don't think I'd have to go like with a James Conrad. Like, that would be like a no pressure situation. I don't think James oh, yeah. Conrad would ever make me feel <laughs> uh, <laughs> like I don't belong or, uh, you know, 
he'd be encouraging even maybe when he shouldn't and i throw a terrible shot but yeah i think that would be a fun round yeah it'd be kind of it well, feel I, I it just no pressure i don't imagine me feeling like i have to live up to anything because he's just chill and mm-hmm. he, we both know he's better than me and i don't have to pretend <laughs> <laughs> yes uh no that's a great answer um i like him as well he's a very uh really you never really see him mad <laughs> no well that's maybe that would be what i do is just try to catch him in his rage <laughs> right oh gosh diddly darn it <laughs> right i'm like oh! yes. language come on man <laughs> all right jason well we got to know you a little bit better and we got to know your disc dying stuff um I know, again, with all these guests, I learn a lot of stuff, and I hope the you as a listener learn something as well. Um, so, again, I greatly appreciate you being on, but you will also be raffling off a disc. Is that correct? That is correct. Yeah. Do you have that disc handy? Oh, I sure do. Uh, Fantastic. This is a harp that I died up, and uh, I think this just kind of like encapsulates my style. It's actually... A moonshine disc too, so you can see Ooh. I left the rim. I left the rim unperturbed, so uh, if nothing else, the the rim will still glow super bright. Um, but yeah, uh, this uh, this kind of defines my style. If if I had to show you one disc and you walk away kind of knowing what I'm about, this is pretty close to to what I would say kind of encapsulates it. So um, yeah, it's a. I think it's a. Now it's got Ricky Wysocki's name on it, if that does anything for you. But <laughs> yeah, this would be a disc that I would, uh, I'd be happy to throw. I actually have thrown these harps before, and I think they're awesome. So not only is it a well, good die, in my opinion, it's a great disc. Yes. So if you would like to get a chance to win this amazing disc, you can. So the podcast will go live when this, uh, the raffle will go live when the podcast is released and it'll be live for two weeks. So if you head to dyersguild.co slash raffle, you can get your chance to enter to win. You can buy as many tickets as you want. And 100% of the proceeds will be going back to Jason to help support his dying habit. Um, obviously, you know, dyers don't make a lot of money, so every little bit helps for that. Um, so, yeah, definitely go check that out. Definitely go support him. Um Again, um, I, I appreciate you being on. And uh, where can people find you and your work? Great question. Uh, I do uh, have a little storefront on uh, discdying.com that people can check out my stuff. But uh, Instagram, you can follow me at bloodfeatherdies. And uh, I also frequent the, the Reddits. Um, I had a Reddit account long before I dis- was dying disc. So. I don't have the blood feather dies name on there, but uh, uh, you can go to the disc dying subreddit and uh, I probably even posted a picture of this <laughs> disc, <laughs> so you can go find me there. But I think my username is uh, Dry Confusion nineteen twenty six. It was just randomly generated for me by Reddit. Don't read into yeah. that. I think it. I think someone was like, "Oh, it's a cool prohibition reference." I'm like, I don't know if that's <laughs> that's what it is or not, but. <laughs> But yeah, Fantastic. yeah, Instagram and uh, frequent the, the frequent Reddit. Cool beans. Well, again, thanks for being on the podcast, and listeners, thanks for taking a listen. So until next time, guys, we'll talk to you later. Bye. Take care.